following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Jean LaRue once said this, bad people make good missionaries. Bad people make good missionaries. The same thing could be said of pastors. Bad people make good pastors. This morning we're going to look at what it means when we have too small a view of grace of what God's doing. Would you pray with me and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning? Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? It's so easy for us to wander off from the grace of the gospel that we first knew. And it happens so often, and it happens to Christians like us. I pray that you would startle us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Whatever we lack in technology this morning, I pray that you would double down on the Holy Spirit that you would leave everyone in this room changed. If your spirit doesn't move, that won't happen. And so I beg you, because of the finished work of Christ, that you would move in each heart that's in this room in the way that you need it to move. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Over the last couple of days and the last week, our family has been listening to an album uh, and that family album that we've been listening to is by Kanye West. <laughs> no one ever thought I would say the sentence that I just said. <laughs> Kanye West has come to Christ. He's bowed his knee and said, Jesus is king. He has come to a place where he sees the folly of his youth and his decisions, and he's tangibly and audibly given his life over to Christ. He's been mentored by some pastors out in California. Don't you just kind of feel like, I don't know. That guy once called himself God in an album. That guy has been narcissistic in the way that he talks about himself. That guy has built an empire on self. Yes, God, you could probably save some sinners, but aren't there some, God, that are just too far out, that are just too far off? While the Christian response to Kanye should be rejoicing as they're rejoicing in heaven, my sinful response is, I don't know. Kanye wrapped this in his new album. I won't wrap it for you because you'll be too amazed and won't listen. I told God last night I want life. Told the devil that I'm going to go in on strike. Told the devil when I see him on site, I've been working for you my whole life. Told the devil I'm going on strike, I've been working for you my whole life. Nothing worse than a hypocrite. Change, he ain't really different. He ain't, even, he ain't even got permission. Ask for advice and they diss him. Said, I finally want to do a gospel album. 
What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. They'll be the first one to judge me. Feeling like nobody loved me. Told people God was on my mission. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. Make you feel alone in the dark and you've never seen a light. Kanye knew that it was coming. He knew that Christians were famous for something, and this is what we're famous for, seeing actual transformation of a heart that is self-centered and see it transitioned and transformed into a heart that actually loved God, and the Christians of all people are going to be the first to judge him. The pastor Jared's going to say, I don't know. God, that's a pretty big get for you. I'm not sure. And Kanye knew it was coming. You see, that's what our reputation has become as a church. And unfortunately, it's not just been as our reputation as a church. It was a reputation even when, during the time of Israel. God had told Israel that he was, they were special, not because they were more in number or because there was anything unique about them. They were special because he loved them and he set his love down on them. And they were supposed to take that specialness. And you remember what they were supposed to do with it? They were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. They were supposed to take what is good and go out to all and said, look at what our God does. Look at how our God loves us. Look at how our God is different. And they were supposed to transform those people around them because of the way that they thought about and talked about themselves and the way that they thought about and talked about others. And even then, they got it wrong. Israel kept feeling special about itself and not taking it to others. And here we have this story where Jonah is supposed to take the gospel of grace to a violent and nasty people. And he doesn't want to do it. Why? Because they're not good enough for grace. They make too many mistakes for grace, they're outsiders. Aren't we like that too? Yeah, the church and Jesus can go get some bad people, but let's keep it within reason. You got to be at least trying. You got to be at least working. You got to be at least trying to turn it around. And God looks Jonah square in the eye and says, I want the ones who are violent. I want the ones who are selfish. I want the ones who are way far off. I want the ones who you won't even believe that those are the ones that I want. And it's throughout the gospel, throughout the Bible, over and over again, God's unlimited grace for the unlovely and the unlikely. Christians, can you imagine what it would be like in our city if we lived like that? If it was our job not to take all of this grace and feel better about ourselves, but to take all of this grace and say, whoever it is we can find, whoever it is we can get near, they're going to know that God has grace and unlimited grace for them. The least likely, we're going to go after the hardest because that's who God tends to save. But instead, we end up being more like Jonah. So let's look at this text together. 
Because of, God, because of how God treats us, we must pursue grace for others. Let's first look at the ridiculous anger of God's people. Look in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And look back in 9, verse 9. It says, who knows, God may return and relent and may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they returned, turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God sees the repentance and the humility, and he turns from his anger. And Jonah sees the repentance and the humility, and he turns towards anger. He's actually mad, and it shows us several things that... Jonah thinks grace is just for me. Grace is just for me. It's for, for me, me and God, me and Jesus. Or for Jonah, it was me and Yahweh. Jonah has been rescued several times. He's been rescued by God, pursued instead of smited. Rescued in the belly of the fish brought back up onto the dry land, rescued in the sense that the Ninevites didn't immediately kill him. He's been rescued even though he's been sinning. And who is he focused on? Their sin. This is a guy who's famous for disobedience, and he's mad at the Ninevites for disobedience. And we hear it like it's normal, like it's, oh yeah, Jonah's got to go get those bad people. And he's the one who's disobeyed. There's a passage that co coordinates well with this in the New Testament. It says this, Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold. He was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt, canceled it, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, patient with me, I'll pay it back, but he refused. Had the man thrown into pit, prison. Then the master calls that servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he, until he should pay back all he owed. You hear it? It's Jesus reporting the same story of Jonah, but in the New Testament, he's saying, it's like we owe God an incredible debt for our salvation and then Somebody owes us something and we're willing to take the grace of God for ourselves but not give it to others. Friends, the degree that which you give grace to others is indicative of how much grace you understand that you needed for yourself. It's hypocrisy to accept grace and not turn and give it to others. He didn't just think, oh, grace is just for me in the belly of the whale. He also just said, grace is for good people. He's talking about Israel. He says, my hometown. God, these are the Ninevites. They're violent. They're nasty. Let's, let's keep the money in the family. 
Now, there's two ways for you to take this, is that grace is just for good people. You can think grace is just for good people, and hallelujah, I'm one of them. But there's some of us in the room, it's more like this, grace is just for good people, and I am not one of them. But both of them make a flawed decision about what grace is because they think it's related to one's behavior. Connor and Cohen have finally got to the place where they're ready to brawl with each other. These are my two-year-old twins, and if you look at them this morning, you'll see that Connor's face is all scratched up where Cohen grabbed him by his nose and his eye and pulled away, and it looks like a cat scratched him. And so we're telling Cohen that he needs to come and say sorry to Connor and go give him a hug and say sorry, and Cohen's like this. And so we're saying, Cohen, go say sorry, give him a hug, check on him. And Connor, the wronged one, keeps walking over to Cohen and putting his arms around going, sorry. Sorry. And we're like, Connor, you don't need to say sorry. You were the one that was wronged. Cohen, you need to say sorry. And Connor grabs his brother who wronged him and pulls him in and says, Sawi, and kisses him. See, Connor knows that on any other moment it could have been him. Connor knows that he needs grace too. Cohen's so bent on being right about not humbling self, that he's not even willing to take responsibility. We're more like that than we'd like to admit. Grace for good people, not for bad people. Remember when Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's dinner? And he's there, and while they're having dinner, and the Pharisee doesn't take care of him, he doesn't minister to him, he doesn't, care, he doesn't meet his needs with hospitality, and yet there's this woman from the street, this sinful woman who co- comes in and weeps all over Jesus' feet and cries and dries his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee is looking at her, and he said, remember what he's saying in his heart? Look at this sinful woman. Grace isn't for sinful women like that. And Jesus says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Friends, if you're wondering why grace and Jesus doesn't mean as much to you as you would like it to, it's because you've got it at arm's length saying, I might need it some, but not as much as those people. Not as much as Kanye. Not as much as Jeffrey Dahmer. Not as much as the people who struggle with this sin or this sin. I might need grace, but at least I'm not like those. And you're hurting yourself, one, because it's not honest. That's not how it works. And two, because what will fuel your love for Jesus is actually admitting and embracing that I'm just as bad as any of them. But it's as if we're fighting for our lives and we refuse to admit that we need grace. It's too scary. The New York Times reports on Son of Sam. Son of Sam killed six people and wounded seven others in New York City. Deeply disturbed. You can watch movies about how deeply disturbed Son of Man and in prison he becomes a Christian. Of course the Christians think there's no way. Not possible. But some of his friends came and walked alongside of him. Said, going to see him is one of the joys in life. That Holy Spirit dwells in that man. 
ask yourself this question. Is it more likely that you should get grace than son of Sam should get grace? Is it more likely that you should get grace than Kanye should get grace? If we begin putting ourselves in that equation, friends, we're on the wrong side of the equation. Grace only means something to someone who knows that they need it. If Jesus doesn't mean much to you, it's not because you're short on understanding his excuse me, you're not short on understanding his holiness. You're short on under, not understanding his love. Grace is not just for me, and it's not just for good people. And it's not just for insiders. See, he uses the name here, Yahweh. He's saying, you, God, you're the Israel, Israelite God. This isn't the prophets of Baal and all of these other gods from the Old Testament. You, God, are the Israelite God. He's saying, this is, this is our thing. They're pagans. They don't even know your real name. And he uses God's personal name in there to remind him. He says, and he prayed to the Lord, Yahweh. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He, my country. I knew this back in my country. Jonah's mad because he wanted Israel to be the world's power. And if they wouldn't be the power, Assyria would stay and reign. He ends up being racist and nationalist, meaning his tribe should ascend and other tribes are bad. And if we're not careful, friends, we can do the same thing nationally speaking and in the church. It's most important that this tribe wins and not the others. And we're acting just like Jonah. Instead, unlike Jonah, who thinks grace is just for me or grace is just for good people or grace is just for insiders, we need to foster a deep humility. Jonathan Edwards wrote resolutions once about the kind of life he was going to live, and he said this. I know the language is a little old, but listen to it. Resolve to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been as vile as I. And as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others. And that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of confessing my own sins and misery to God. I know it's a lot of words, but did you hear what he's saying? He's saying, this is Jonathan Edwards, one of the great minds of his time, one of the great prophets in the sense of what he could save back then, and it still matter now. A great pastor. And he said, resolve to act as if nobody's as bad as I am. And when someone's telling me their sin, I act as if I had committed the same sin, or I had had the same infirmities or failings of others. And when I hear about other people's sin, that it'll promote me to feel shame for my own sin, not theirs. You see, friends... What Christianity is missing on the world stage is humility. That grace could be for anyone else because it came and got someone like me. Jonah marches out of the city and he's waiting there for the city to be destroyed. 
And we're going to get into the next week. But I want you to see this. Jonas thought grace is for me, grace is for good people, grace is for insider. And despite all of that, God is still patient and gracious, gracious with Jonah, which should be encouraging for us. Jonah's slow spiritual learning. And maybe you're like that. You've thought, I did walk with God. I did repent. I did see his grace. But now how could I have done something like this? How could someone like me do something like this? Friends, God's word is full of people who get it wrong again and again, right after God shows them grace. Richard Phillips says in Luke 15, angels rejoice over the sinner, the prodigal son. And Jonah here weeps and goes into self-pity over repentance. God has grace for Jonah. He's slow to anger. God has grace for Nineveh. He's slow to anger. Do you actually believe that God is slow to anger? It would change your whole life. If you zeroed in on the fact that God was slow to anger, that God, seeing you in your sin and seeing you in your mess and seeing in your habits, looked at you and said, I am slow to anger. I am going to rescue these people. And I'm going to bring them back. And when they mess up, I'm going to bring them back again. And when they mess up, I'm going to bring them back again, just like he does with Jonah. Is that how you've thought about God? He's gracious with Nineveh. He's slow to anger. He's also gracious with Jonah. God is still gentle with him. At this point, God has told him to do something, sent a storm after him, sent a fish after him, and rescues him, tells him what to do, and Jonah's still throwing a pity party. At this point, you just want God to sneeze Jonah to explode. And he says, do you do well to be angry? He still gently pastures him through the moment. Are you sure you know what you're doing here, Jonah? Who are the people in your life that God has called you to be gentle and pastoral and slow and humble with, and you're missing it because you're too busy managing your own sin? Grace was not just to make you feel better. Grace was not just to make you experience something better. Grace was for you to be transformed for the sake of the other. Who in your life are you missing it? Who is your Nineveh that you're missing it because you thought grace was to battle with your own sin and to manage? Go get your neighbor and your friend and your coworker. Get your life uncomfortable and not be brash and not talk first and not hand them a tract. Walk with them. Go slow with them. Love them. Listen to their stories. Know their family members' names. Ask about their struggles. Walk with them. Be patient. Maybe you're the person God put in their life for them to experience salvation. And you don't want to be like Jonah. We'll close with this. And I know we're running late today. There's a Veggie Tales. I told you this before. There's a Veggie Tales reenactment of the story of Jonah. Veggie Tales is this sweet, beautiful little legalistic thing that we show our kids. And um, at one point in the story, Jonah's being tied up in Nineveh because he's kind of being held down and he's, um, he's, not, uh, he's afraid for his life. And of course, this is all superfluous. It's not, it's not canonical. It's not in the Bible. But it's his recounting of it. And Jonah's about to be killed. They're going to slap him with a fish fully and finally. That's the big crime of Nineveh. 
And he says, I was in the belly of the whale. And they said, wait, you're in the belly of the whale? He said, for three days and nights, and I prayed to my God, and the, the great monster spit me up on the shore so that I could come here and bring the message. And he said, here in Nineveh, we bow to a great fish. We celebrate the great fish. He said, but what if your saying is true? How do we know if he's telling the truth? And they said, sire, smell him. Smell him. I'm terribly sorry. I've been meaning to shower. And they smell him and they say, he has been in the great fish. We must hear the message. Yes, the message. What's the message? And Jonah finally says, stop. Stop cheating. Stop lying. Especially stop slapping people with fishes. All this entire city will be destroyed from a message of the Lord. And the king hears it. And I'm watching this with my kids long ago. I think it was with Cormac. And the king hears it and he's actually moved by it. And he says, he was upset. He had no idea that he was supposed to not do that stuff. No one ever told him before. And so the king sends out to decree urgently to let God give up their evil ways and their violence. And perhaps the message, the God who sent this man to us will give us. And I kept thinking he's going to say grace. I'm sitting there crying watching VeggieTales with Cormac. And this king of Nineveh is talking about how maybe this God, maybe this God, after we've repented, he will give us, and he goes, a second chance. And later in the movie, they say, basically, the story of Jonah is that everybody deserves a second chance. No! You've ruined it. VeggieTales, you've ruined it for me. The story of Jonah is not that everybody deserves a second chance. The story of Jonah is about how God goes and finds the most vile people, the most unsavable, the most unlikely, the most unlovely, and he rescues them and he brings them in so that they will turn and go and tell other vile people. So instead of doubting Kanye's profession of faith, we should be on the front line saying, of course God did that, because if he could save someone like me, he could easily save someone like Kanye. Profound humility is what will make for strong mission. Does Kanye need Jesus any more or less than you? And what does that do for the people around you? Let's pray. It's easier for us to believe in our neat little worlds that grace was easier for us because we're not Kanye. Grace is easier for us because we're not the son of Sam. But what's most profound about grace is that we're not Jesus. We're not perfect in love and in grace and in truth. We were far off and you rescued us. Would you make us the kind of church who goes after the far off to help rescue them? and that we use profound humility to do so. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.